the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided our world has become? We desperately need stories of peace and healing. We find the bridge builders across the globe who are stepping into the divides of culture and bringing understanding, compassion, and reconciliation. And now, here's your hosts, Jonathan Sanborn and Lisa Jernigan. And hello again. Thank you so much for tuning in to Counterculture. I am your host, Jonathan and... Lisa. Well, hello, Lisa. I was Lisa. getting so wrapped up in your... Like, you just came across and you're animated and I loved it. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're the, started. The meds are kicking in. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. Nothing really? wrong with that. Really? But yeah. okay. Caffeine is a med. Is caffeine a med? Sure. Sure. It's a stimulant. It's a stimulant. Yes. <laughs> so we have. This is really kind of cool because one, we have all power and authority over the show, right, Lisa? <laughs> right. We- <laughs> Sure we do. Sure we do. You guys want me to leave and you can practice that intro? <laughs> we'll work on our transitions. No, I'm no, we like, have incredible we have? power. So we can basically bring on whoever we want. Whoever. We don't have to go up the chain. We don't know have to submit to the man. No. No, we just can do our thing. We're, and we can get the we, best. We can get the best. The best the of best, the best. The brightest. Maybe next time. Or, or whoever we can shoot response to our text. Whoever was on walking in the studio yeah. when you decided to record. Bribe with a lunch or something, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, for coffee or lunch. Right. Could be a bus pass. And I'm okay with that, right? There's no shame There's in that. no shame in that. <laughs> so it was like, I'm having lunch with a, a, my brother from another mother. Billy Thrall last week, and he's like... The legend. The legend. (laughs) And so I just have to welcome Billy Thrall. Welcome, Billy. Welcome back to you guys. This is so fun to be here. I know, right? We're all together. I can't even imagine what's going to happen in this next few minutes. So first, Billy was the gateway, the the gateway drug for radio for me. Did, Did you know that? I did not. I was, the first time I was ever on radio was on his show. And I'm like, this is kind of cool. And that led to me coming back on a show or two and invited to do a show. And then that here we are. Look at this. And I so love that. Now so you're Billy, on my thank show. You. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And you, you've been on Counterculture before, before the Lisa uh, era. Era. Yeah. Yeah. The upgrade. The upgrade. <laughs> Absolute upgrade. I'm telling you, I was just a, a, a very lonely man, just lingering late night we on the radio. Lunch, oh, whatever. You were telling me about the show, and he's kind of saying, yeah, and you'll see Lisa. And I'm like, who? Because you know, I've been out of it for a couple right. years here, and Lisa Jernigan's with me. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. I'm going. Yeah. Book me now. <laughs> well, I was on your show, too. I know. And I loved it. We had a good time. It was a good time. I know. So this is more than just a love fest, though. This is there's some big stuff going. Yeah, I'm all about the love fest, but this is there's some there's some big stuff that we're going to talk about today, 
And that's why I'm really excited because sometimes, you know, we, our show is, fu- is being counterculture and uh, to find the peacemakers and the bridge builders. And Billy's been a kind of a big deal bridge builder, peacemaker in Arizona for a long time. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, just just actually, would you just share things? If maybe we could put it all together. I mean, he's done a lot. He's the <laughs> Renaissance man. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, what Whenever are some... you get involved in something, it would be like, well, here's Billy. Yeah. And it's like, wow, he's over there. He's over here. He's, and he... it's like it's been over, over the years. Yeah. It's been amazing. I've, I've had two jobs where Billy had the job before I did. <laughs> so he's really – he even got me a job. You know, the guy's amazing. So, All right. That's enough of that. Okay, so, go ahead. What? No, but before we get into because we want to hear of the big thing, but okay. but we want to hear your background to right. know things that you've done. Oh, you guys are kind because I really do love you both and respect you both and the work you guys have been doing for a long, long time. And um, yeah, so I would just say quickly, I've had this amazing privilege of getting to be in Arizona my whole life, basically, and because of that, God just kept introducing me to cool people. And I love people. So I just feel like my gift has been meet cool people and connect them together for the things of Jesus. And I just get to keep doing that. Yeah. And so sometimes it's in the Palau realm and getting churches to serve in the season of service. We created Hope Fest Phoenix. We did Movement Day. We did brought the care portal here. Mm-hmm. You know, different things that I've got to be a part of. Really, I would just say, because God said, Billy, I want you to know this person. They're going to really help move forward, what I would just say, the things of Jesus. And then I always sort of have a personal angle of, does this serve the poor? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I think Jesus is amazing. He rescued my life. He's the answer for everything. Then 1A of that for me is always gospel to the poor Mm. uh, is really where I feel like God has put me. So Mm -hmm. that's a little of my background story. And you were with the state of Arizona? I was, you were also a pastor for many years. I was. And weren't you with the circus with Ringling Brothers for a couple of years? <laughs> it's got to look like me. You? It was the oh. big nose exhibit. <laughs> yeah. The guy with the big nose. Yeah. He was drinking vodka. <laughs> that wasn't but I me. I think that wasn't you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. Okay. No, but, yeah, but you've done just a, a, a bevy. Yeah. A bounty. Yeah. A cornucopia. Okay. Yeah. I'm done with my med- Okay. I'm done with my light words. <laughs> Of, yeah, of so things. I think another interesting piece of this is I grew up in the church as a church kid, but it didn't go well for me. Yeah. And my dad was a pastor, and most people would say, what a privilege that would be. It wasn't good for me, and I kicked off pretty hard. And so I tried to escape religion and Jesus as hard as I could, and in college, he rescued me. Mm. So there is this piece of me of... He keeps finding us even when we don't want to be found mm. or we think we can't be found. And then, ironically, I became a pastor. So the wow. thing I thought I would never want to be a part of, and it wasn't part of Neighborhood Ministries. And so I pastored there, started the, part of the church there, and pastored in our inner city and was a prison chaplain for about 10 years in that piece, mm. too. And again, just wanted to talk about Jesus right. and trying to find an audience of people who don't usually get to hear about him. So how did you have that heart for the poor? Like you said, yeah. that's kind of one eight. Because a lot of times in the church, we're not we're starting to hear a little, little bit more. But this yeah. has been a part of your your yeah. heart, your passion for years. How did that? How did God awaken that inside of you? That's a great question. I think um, 
really, I could describe the night when I was in my dorm room and Jesus just showed up. And I cried for hours and just felt like I'm, you know, I was the prodigal who he'd come to my house. Mm. I didn't go home. He just came and got me. And right, like in that same night, just felt God say, I'm going to give you a heart for those who are like you, who are lost, but also for the, those on the margins that didn't have that word, right. the lost, the least kind of language. Uh, then I was mentored by some people who have a God's heart for the poor theology. I think the Bible is pretty obvious about it, and Absolutely. I always thought that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I could just start to you know do the 2,000 passages of Scripture that say mm-hmm. the poor, the lost, those on the margins, the foreigner, the refugee, the alien, the abandoned— that's who the gospel's for. That's if it's not good news to them, right. who's it for? Right. So I think mentored some in, the, in my seminary experience, and then my ministry experience, and then reading, you know, the John Perkinsons of the world, right. the the, mm-hmm. the people who kind of get it. I was like, there's no way I could go back. I couldn't unlearn the fact that really the gospel's for those who don't know Jesus yet. Right, and it has to be good news for them. It has. I mean, you know, I. I just was thinking even a little bit, I heard a great sermon recently around Christmas time when, you know, John is in, the Baptist is in jail, and he has spent his whole life proclaiming, this is the Messiah. My cousin is the Messiah. He's the one. And yet when he's in prison, he asks his disciples, would you go check? Mm. Go check, because I'm about to die for this now. I was all about it. And they tell Jesus, and he goes, tell them what you see, you know. It's the blind sea and the lame walk. It's, again, that metaphor, that message that Jesus always has is you want to know the gospel is alive and working? Those that were pushed to the side of culture get the attention. And anyway, so that's, that's always so kind good. of been a, a thing that God's given me. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would argue you don't even really understand the gospel if you don't see yourself as poor. Uh-huh. Like, in, like if you really see—I mean, if it's just a thing to add to your bounty— and it's just a blessing, then it's not really the gospel. It's really when we really says, no, I'm, I'm the orphan. I'm, I'm the poor. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the alien who doesn't belong on this earth. You know, I, you know, whatever that might be, Both it's both literal and that it is metaphorical. I don't want to dismiss the the literal aspects of it, but I think everyone in some way must understand their brokenness and lostness. I think, you, you look through history for 2,000 years now. For the first 350 years of the church, it was the marginalized religion. You were killed mm-hmm. for believing it. And so to really believe it, it was those on the edge that were saying, I'm going to declare my need, and it might cost me my life, mm-hmm. um, but it's the literal poor, the littler, yes. the literal refugee, the literal marginalized, the female in the male dominated. It's literally those people. Mm-hmm. But I also do think it's the spiritual and emotional piece Both. of it. Yeah. And until we admit we need a savior, we'll just keep acting like we are our own savior. And until we admit we need a doctor, which could tie into the questions you're going to ask me here yes. in a little bit. Yep. Um, until we admit we need a doctor, we're not going to go see one. And we're going to stay wounded. And... That's what I love about when Jesus shows up, especially in other cultures. Lisa, you asked me theologically, when I started to look at the African-American church mm-hmm. or the African church right. or the Middle Eastern church, mm-hmm. they don't have this prosperity gospel that America has kind of grossly in- adopted. They actually see that it is God's heart for them, the one who's not in power, where they get their power, mm-hmm. that their power doesn't come from political gain or economic gain. 
it comes from this gospel, this Jesus, who has a whole different agenda from the bottom up. That's mm. absolutely true. And when you do experience those different cultures, you can absolutely see what you're talking about. Yeah. Right? It's a different mindset. I'm, we had a, a mentor of mine said, what you wake up to every day shapes your worldview. Mm-hmm. And if you wake up every day thinking you're the answer, you're going to start to believe that mm-hmm. or that your way is the right way. Yeah. But that's so limiting that really that's when you wake up every day to people who are suffering and you wake up every day to people who are literally poor and work hard and still are poor. You read books from the Christians of Haiti. Mm-hmm. You read books from the people who are oppressed mm-hmm. and they love Jesus and they find their comfort in Jesus. You're like, wait a minute. I, my worldview is getting changed now mm-hmm. and I have to open my eyes to a bigger Jesus. When it's, it's interesting how rare in like training and equipping we hear that, those voices for mm-hmm. like what, like in, of my the, books in my, in seminary that I read, how, how few of them were from the marginalized and the poor and from other races and from it was just it was really unfortunate then i took a lot of, of shaping for that yes. but we could talk about this the whole show and i know you could pro- we could I, we could rest there but there's such i feel like <laughs> you have gone through such a journey the yeah. past couple of years because you're hosting a show you're you're hopping in you're 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 running a nonprofit you're 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 the man. You, you're super connected. Everyone knows Billy Thrall. Ew. You're a, you're a high you're a public figure, and then something happened. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> almost two years ago now. Uh, I'm I'm getting emotional because it's still my life. Uh, I was playing a sport. On a, I was just playing a sport on a court, and I guess I tripped because I don't remember part of this, and I cracked my skull, and uh, had a total brain bleed, had a grand mal seizure almost died. And uh, my wife is a doctor of nursing. She was with me. So thankfully, she knew to call 911. I was put in an ambulance right away and taken to the hospital. And there was three days there. They weren't sure I was going to make it. And uh, so it was almost two years ago. The effect of that was it's a traumatic brain injury. And I now learn there's no such thing as a minor traumatic brain injury. And I had one. And it affected my nervous system as well. So I had damage done to my nervous system. And I spent months, almost an entire year, barely being able to do anything. I was, I had migraines every day. I was dizzy. My eyes weren't aligned. I would try rehab therapy for a while and then get so sick that I couldn't return. Just getting in the car was hard for me. Affected my breathing, my digestion. My heart rate was all over the place. Uh, And my brain was affected. So my memory was affected. Speech was affected. So if I mess up some words right now, wave wave your hand, raise your hand and we'll try to... Uh, but I've been in a lot of therapeutic sense, uh, places around that, and um, but it was rough, and it was kind of a year of barely able to do anything. Uh, literally, like f- ten months after my injury, I think I could walk with my hiking sticks for five minutes. Oh my! Wow. That's what I could do, and I'd lost a ton of weight, and it was bad. And so, yeah, it's been rough, and laying in bed, and then kind of getting my brain to come back, um, thinking but my body isn't getting better. Okay, God, what's this about? And so that's, it's been the hardest two years of my life Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. really rough for my wife. She's an amazing person. She still works full time as a professor, but she had to care for me and what it, we had a ton of friends that loved on us and took care of us, but as a rough go. So talk about that a little bit more if you want to and what that all meant, but toughest two years of, of my life. I'm, just getting out of them. So you're a sharp, 
healthy, active guy <laughs> doing your thing, yeah. and then everything just can, can change yeah. on that, leading to one a, a year bedridden, yeah. and then another difficult year yeah. of recovery. Yes. Yeah. Um, so thoughts around that are, uh, I think I was pretty good at being a caregiver, mm-hmm. and I realized I don't like being the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, like we just talked about God's heart for the poor, it's kind of cool to be the resource person caring for those in need. It's no fun to be the one who has the need. But we all are that person, mm-hmm. too. And being forced to come to terms with my human body not functioning, my brain not being all there, was very humiliating and humbling. And I didn't like it. I still don't like it. Mm-hmm. But it is that whole great sermon you just gave, Billy, but now you're going to live it. Mm-hmm. Um, different lessons this time around. So, yeah, it's been rough yeah. and amazing. I would honestly say there were many days, to be really honest with you, that I thought, God has forgotten me. This, mm-hmm. How can I suffer like this? This hurts too much. I'm watching Charlotte cry, and that's my wife Charlotte cry, and I'm not getting better, to totally feeling his presence, totally feeling God's mercy and grace in ways that I've never felt it before, mm. uh, watching people that I barely know minister to us in ways that I just never thought would I would want them, but now cherish those memories. Mm. They've made us different people. I would never have wanted this to happen. Right. Still don't want this to happen. But really this now sensitivity to, um, this is what I've been trying to say it lately, those on the margins of the margins, mm-hmm. those who can't get to our stuff because mm-hmm. they're physically, emotionally, mentally not able to get there. I've been in a lot of rehab centers with amazing human beings who are can't walk and can't speak or recovering from brain tumors, brain injuries, and I'm around them. I'm in therapy with them, and I'm thinking, God, be present for those people because they're not going to get to our, our thing that mm-hmm. we're doing in mm-hmm. Christendom. Mm-hmm. And I know he is because I've heard their stories, and I've heard how God's showing up for them in ways that make no sense right. to the most of us, but... Yeah, thanks for asking. Well, one of the things I, I hear when you're talking, I'm thinking about is, you know, so much of our faith is about certainty. We want certainty, right? And when you have something like this happen, especially like with the brain, and you're laying there and an ear, and you're like, certainty's not yeah. part. It's like so uncertain. Yeah. Like, I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know what happened. What The things that I thought were certain in my life. Yeah no longer exists. Mm-hmm. How do you process that with God, with That's the certainty question. and the uncertainty That's with God? That's a great God? question. For one thing, actually, faith means not certainty. Right. So I want it to be certain. I want to know that my faith is stable and I believe the right things and we have the right theology and I'm on the right team. But that isn't faith. Mm-hmm. That's understanding or information or knowledge transfer. Faith is at a different spot. It's at a different level. It's when none of those things are actually sufficient anymore. And now it's me and God. That's one answer. So that's actually faith gets deepened when the information doesn't make sense. Mm. The second thing that you're making me think about is that there's a grief in this mm-hmm. because there's loss. Right. Not only loss of two years, but loss of what I thought I believed. 
loss of the system that I was a part mm-hmm. of promoting working mm-hmm. wasn't working for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And then just loss of, you know, time goes by and my kids got older and we, our grandkids moved and you kind of go, oh, the way it was, I kind of thought when I'm back, well, I'm getting back now, but everyone else kind of moved on, right? right? It's been two years. So there's a grief piece to this that I have to be honest and say, that's a loss, and I don't have the answer to that, but I go, but God doesn't do it for no reason. Or whatever happens has redemption in it too. I don't know what that is all the time, and I still right. don't, but I would say that's the two things that I'm hit with. What is really faith when there's uncertainty? And then what is it to be honest about the grief, the loss, the letting go mm-hmm. of the need to control? Mm-hmm. I got to let that go because I just don't know what this means sometimes. Well, we're so big on planning, right? We want to have a one-year, a three-year, a five-year plan, right? And so when something like this happens, that's gone. That's out the window, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think it's hard for – especially some personality types, it's harder for than others. But you've been so active (laughs) and so much a part of so much that's happening to be – taken out of the game, so to speak, it's got to be super hard. Like, God, where are you? Why? And the questions of why so many times. But then, like you said, there's parts of it you wouldn't trade. And I think you're you're reminding me of something. You know, we, the three of us and others have done big things. You know, we've been in rooms with a lot of folks and we've been a part of things where lots was happening. Those are great. But those are also filled with humans who are individuals going through something that we have no idea what it is. And until we really can slow that down a little bit or pull a couple to the side or one or two and say, how are you really? Mm-hmm. And keep asking that mm-hmm. till they start to cry and share the pain. Then we're getting somewhere mm-hmm. because most of the time we're a, or a passive audience setting Christian event. I'm now realizing that those are just people sitting there waiting for someone to listen to them tell the story they're going through. Mm -hmm. And earlier you asked me about, you know, this doctor and wanting to get well piece. Everyone's wounded. Mm -hmm. We just, we are. We're all hurting from something. We're all lost something. We're all grieving something. We're all physically stuck. Who are we going to tell that to? Where's the safe place to go share that? Who's willing to sit and listen and ask that? I remember as a youth pastor years ago, um, I would tell parents all the time, I know where your kid's going to run when they get the A. They're going to run home. Mm-hmm. Where are they going to run when they get the F? Mm. Or when they get cut from the team? Can they still run home? Will they still know you as the parents are the safe place in the failure and in the suffering? I'm feeling that in a different way now mm-hmm. about what we're creating around our Jesus events is the wounded person who's getting Fs over and over and over feel just as welcome as the person who happened to give an A this week and is showing up waving their diploma, which isn't really them anyway. Mm. But where's the space we're creating for people to be honest and share and then find healing? You know, this phrase hits me. Jesus can only heal what we reveal. Mm. And when we're honest, when he says to the guy at the pool, you want to get well now? I think he's asking, do you know you're sick, right? Wow. Yeah, I'm really, I need you. Exactly. This is, the, this is the space and time to get honest. 
Mm. That's so good. I mean, such a great reminder and a great challenge. Yeah. Kind of as we wrap up our show, what was there one like practice or, or something that you just did that helped you? Like, because this is you're just you're kind of in an existing moment. But there was there something that you did that just it positioned you or in the right spot that kind of helped you see things more clearly or get through it? That's a good question. Um, a lot is having to trust the caregivers around me because I, my brain wasn't working right. My body wasn't working right. And that was exhausting. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it myself. So to look at a speech therapist or a occupational therapist or a physical therapist, and they would say, we're going to do this thing with you and you're going to get really uncomfortable, but trust me, mm-hmm. over time, this will get better. So having to trust the caregivers and people in my life would be at one. The other one is I now have to really start each day with a rhythm of quiet, peaceful prayer and meditation. Because if I start fast, like I used to, with a cup of coffee and out the door, my body will shut down. It just won't let me. Mm. My brain isn't ready. So I actually have to start this mm. rhythm. I have it in my calendar. <laughs> and I wake <laughs> up every morning and I start with a slow, intentional, prayerful kind of meditation, even breathing. I know that sounds like, but it helps me to kind of get through the next chunk of the day, mm. taking things slowly. Wow. I think we could all start the day that way. <laughs> right? I love that Jesus, there's that verse where Jesus said he just went out and sat by the lake. Yeah. And I just love that. It doesn't say what he was thinking about or preaching at that point. He just went out, got up in the morning, and went and sat by the lake. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's one of the Jesus things that I have to incorporate to my daily rhythm just for my continued health. Mm. Mm. Be still and know that I am God. One of my, it's, yeah. This has been a fantastic conversation. I could talk with you. You guys are so, Hours. so sweet to let me crash your party. This was <laughs> super fun. Anytime. There's an open Anytime. invitation. <laughs> yes. Well, I hope this has been an encouragement for you, the listener, today. Just We just love that you, you'd spend time in your busy life to listen to Counterculture. Appreciate you a ton. Thank you, Billy, for being on our show today, and you're welcome back anytime. Soul brother from another mother. <laughs> love you both. <laughs> love you, Thank too. you, Mo. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Amplify Peace. Educating, immersing, training, and launching peacemakers to build united communities. And by Care Portal, a platform connecting the needs of children and families in crisis to the local church. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.